Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. We are day seven winter football practice is what it seemed like out there today. Uh, for those in Seattle, it is uh, quite cold. I mean, it's probably mid-30s out at practice today right it now. It said 45. Yeah, I'm not buying that for a minute. It was yeah. freaking cold out there. But, you know, when you're down on the lake close to the water, it always seems a little bit colder. Uh, my temperature gauge on my car said 36 on the way in. Yeah, but Kim, so. think about it. It wasn't really blowing that hard either. Yeah. It wasn't like the wind that it was on Monday. So if you would have added the Monday wind to today, it could have gotten quite chilly. So the good part about being freaking cold out there is there's no wind and there was no rain. But we're well, and the other thing, too, yeah. is, is that I know the people down in Portland and southern Washington are, are, have dealt with snow the last few days. Yeah. No, no snow here, but it feels like it was just yeah. right on the cusp. Yeah, this is November weather out there. Feels like today. it, which, is, which makes the, the one day of when it was 70 last week even weirder. When, when you were over at Central, you know, and you'd get down into the low 30s, was practice any different, Scott? Um, well, I mean, we were usually done before the really bad weather hit and cold weather hit. I mean, it was in the 30s, though, so, yeah, it was it was chilly out there. You definitely, especially when we were in the, the playoffs, because NAIA back then had playoffs, and so um, we were practicing into late November, and it was getting a little oh, chilly. Oh, yeah, any, anybody, any, any fan of college football who, especially in this area, who also watches FCS and has seen the playoff games Eastern at the... At the the Inferno, mm -hmm. or games over Montana, things like that. I, I mean, playing in snow or playing mm -hmm. in a field that has been has had the snow removed from it, so you see the snow rounding the mm -hmm. field. That's a pretty common occurrence, but you don't expect to see that kind of stuff in April in Seattle. Those and Sioux Fall guys brought it with them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll I mean, we'll DeBoer, Robin DeBoer. DeBoer has certainly talked about how um, <laughs> he, he, it feels a lot more like Sioux Falls than it, or yeah, than it does the Indiana, uh, Fresno. And the Indiana guys, Nick Sheridan and uh, yeah. and Coach uh, Coach Shepard. Guys on the offensive lines, it looks like we had a little bit of flip flopping around out there, Scott. Yeah, it was a little bit different today. Um, uh, Chris noted, and I didn't see this, but it makes sense. Chris noted that Mateo Mele was to getting some reps at center. Center, yeah. And then um, we saw Roger Rosengarten start out at right tackle. Um, <laughs> for what? One, one for, play? Uh, was two like plays? Two, two or three <laughs> plays. But he false starts. And then Mateo Mele comes in and or switches that back yeah, but out. Tell, 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 tell everyone what he had to do. He had to, go, he had to go touch the sign that says TNT. And we've been wondering about that because there's a lot of different uh, adjectives, I guess, that would be out there. like yeah, Acronyms. Would, acronyms, whatever. Yeah. But um, no, but I, what I mean is, there's a bunch of words in the TNT. Oh, right, yeah, within yeah, yeah. it, like yeah. enthusiasm and be early and things like that. Yeah. And apparently, that sign means takes no talent. Yeah. TNT takes yeah. no talent, and it's basically you don't have to take talent. It doesn't take talent to not 
to, to false start. Right. It doesn't to, to not false start. It doesn't take talent to be here early. It doesn't take talent to have enthusiasm. Right. You just have to have that anyway. So, so, so my early um, hypothesis about TNT being a part of the explosive mm -hmm. offense, you yeah. can you can scrap that. Shelf I just that thought it was, was an ode to ACDC. Yeah. So. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Are you kind of surprised? That, uh, Mateo Maley actually started a game at center. Yes, that and, was when Nick Harris a, got hurt. Three but we years, three years ago. Yeah, three. Haven't, I haven't seen him at center since. It's twenty nineteen. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't done but, it. Much, but remember, but. Scott Huff. I mean, it, it, he's been around. And yeah. He's seen him play at center, and he's he's gotten him prepared to play they, center. They were so. pretty happy with it, what he did at center too. So. Well, and it's interesting because really up to this point, it's only been Corey Luciano and Garen Hatchett, and so we really haven't. Unless you know, if you go into the threes, I think Will Pliska mm -hmm. has gotten some reps at times. Um, from there, but which was the exact same as it was last year. But having um, melee at center makes all the sense in the world. Well, why? Over Luciano? Well, no, it, it, it makes sense in this in only in the sense that that you need multiple players to be able mm -hmm. to snap the ball. I mean, I remember Scott Huff telling me that you know at any point in time you've got to have at least four to five guys that can snap the ball at any one mm -hmm. point, depending on what happens. I don't know if you remember this, Kim. Years and years and years ago, when USC came up here. They lost centers on back-to-back -back plays. I think this was when Chris O'Dowd was their, their starting center. They lost centers on back-to-back -back plays. Now, that's obviously an extreme example, but that's, that's what you have to prepare for in these worst-case scenarios when it's the next man well, up. Well, and you talk about, um, I think it was the Alamo Bowl with uh, TCU and Oregon. Remember, Oregon's up like 35-7. to seven. Their right. center gets hurt. Right. And then they can't get a snap back to the quarterback. That was, was that Grasso? Yeah, Grasso is the was one it, who got hurt. And they, they they can't get the snaps back on time, and TCU comes back and wins because the offense can't do anything. So, right. um, yeah, you need that that center. But I don't. I guess I'm just wondering why it makes a lot of sense. Is it because he's done it before? The well, one? he he played there. I thought he played pretty well when he played yeah, there. And you know, with all all the other offensive line spots, I like Melee as a player better than Luciano. I think he's more talented. So you know, get the most yeah. talented five guys out there. Yeah, he's done it before. He has, so well, you know we'll see. I think Luciano is still probably your starting center against Kansas. Well, and it's Kansas also State, interesting but. too because of this this concept, this TNT that we that we've been made aware of. You know, when you look at Corey Luciano's history at Washington, when he's been brought in as extra lineman, for instance, when he first came in and in goal line situations, remember the one where he false started at the goal mm -hmm. line against Cal in the in the interminably long game that went oh, into like God. two in the morning. That was. That play may have cost them the game. It was his false start that forced them into a field goal instead of going for the touchdown. And so it, you know, when you you've got to have a guy there that's mentally sharp and on it all the time. And so I'm, it's not surprising to me that they're still searching to make sure that they've got that right guy in there. Mm -hmm. And when you have three guys now that have legitimate experience, whether you're talking about, you know, and I'm talking about when I say legitimate experience, I'm talking about multiple, multiple, multiple turns. You know, in spring and fall camp, as well as in the case of melee, an actual start on the road at Arizona. Um, these are situations that you've got to gear those guys up for as, as many times as they can, because you never know what the circumstance is going to be. And at at some point, they may have to rely on a guy like Mattel melee to come in and and be that guy. I just don't think they're grooming him to be the number one guy. With Rosengarten over at right tackle, you know, surprising a little bit? Do you think that might have to do with the left-handed quarterback, or what do you think? No, he's, well, he's been playing right tackle with the twos all 
spring long so far. Because so, Melee was playing. And since Melee line. had moved inside, I'm guessing that's why it was out there. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> I mean, it could have just been, because I saw Luciano come out of the tent. Um, so it could have just been Luciano had to get something looked at real quick, and that's yeah. why uh, Melee was in there. But it was the first change that we had seen. It, so. it does add credence to me that, to believe that, that, yeah. that Melee could very well be the emergency guy if they have to mm-hmm. go in there because he's has experience doing it. Mm-hmm. But all things being equal, he's not one of the best five that I think that they believe could be out there mm-hmm. when you talk about those number ones because that would be counter to everything that we've seen in the first six practices. Early on in practice, uh, Sam Heward running with the ones. Beautiful long touchdown pass to Jalen McMillan. Yeah, threw it, threw it right. Uh, he beats uh, Elijah Jackson. Well, yeah, I don't know if it ends up being a touchdown. but Well, at the very least, he would have been tackled inside the five. Right. But, um, I agree. Because But it wasn't, Jacoby let's put it this having, way. We're, we're, the picture that we're painting, yeah. this is not one of those bombs over the top. No, this is, uh, I don't want to even call it a crossing route, but we, we can't really describe what it was. But he caught it in stride down the field. He caught it in stride coming across yeah. and then bolted up the sidelines and outran everybody. But Covington, he was tackling him. He touched yeah. him around the like two or three yard line. Yeah. And if he had been trying to tackle him, maybe he pushes him out. I don't yeah. know. But I called it a touchdown because well, that looks better. Well, throwing ball, what, probably about 30 yards in the air? Yeah, probably, probably something like that, that yeah. yeah. I just beautiful, I just wondered, I just wondered though, because yes. the other the other receiver that was in the route seemed to be awfully close, and he was brought the other defender Rome? with him. Was that Rome? It may have been. I didn't make. Yeah. I didn't actually keep track, but... People have no idea how hard it is to keep track of all these well, numbers. As well, we're I'm trying to, to I'm all. trying to keep track of the people that are making the play, not mm-hmm. the ones that are kind of tangential mm-hmm. to it. But what I did understand at the time was it looked, it looked like the other receiver had brought in the defender. It was a little too close for comfort because usually you want that other guy clearing out uh-huh. so that you know the one that makes the catch is in a one-on-one situation, and that really wasn't the case. There were four guys in a pretty tight space when McMillan caught it, which. Made it a, a, a really nice play on his part. From what we've been able to see, which has been incredibly limited, is this the first time we've seen, they've shown us Sam with the ones? That I remember seeing, yes. Yeah, yeah unless it was back in like, the first practice or the second practice, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, now, this is the first time. That doesn't mean that he hasn't taken snaps with the ones when we're not there. I'd almost yeah. guarantee he's taken I guarantee he probably has. But, but, yeah. but this is the first time we've actually seen it. So just for what people know, they're out there. So when we get in there at 8.30, they're just going through some position drills. They're doing a few things just to kind of get warmed up, get the muscles warm and everything like that. Then they do their stretching and all that. And the first session typically is an 11-on-11 session um, where they just let the first-team offense, first-team defense um, do their thing. And then they come back the exact opposite way and let the first, second-team offense and second-team defense do their thing. Right. And if – and we so we don't typically see anything of the third unit – and really, it seems like, and Chris, you made this point early on, it seems like a session to really just get the juices flowing. And yeah, get, I think get, they, I mean, yeah. that's all it seems to be do- doing. I don't think we should read anything into what we're seeing. Yeah, I don't think there's necessarily like a big hurry-up element to it, but it is one of those where you see the coach is kind of barking at them and getting mm-hmm. them going and yeah. getting guys involved and making sure that they, you know, they're rotating things correct. And this, to me, has a lot to do with as much as trying to make sure that they get those quick packages in 
You know, mm-hmm. like get a couple that get a couple of the new linebackers in, get a, get a couple of these. Mm-hmm. So it's as much on the coaches too, trying to get their their packages going together too. Because at least what I saw a little bit defensively in terms of just that first session was just it, there. It felt like there was a little bit more of a mix between the ones and the twos uh, together than we what we had seen maybe in the past. Because um, at least the first two or three practices, and to my eye. The ones on the offensive and the defensive side seem to be fairly mapped out, mm-hmm. and they they didn't really change all that much. Now we're starting to see slowly some mixing and matching with the like the defensive backs, for instance. We're starting to see a couple different permutations with the cornerbacks. Like the first the first uh, few practices, it was always it was always Mish Powell and it was always Elijah Jackson. Well, now we're seeing Jordan Perryman getting moved in a little bit. We're seeing other times, like I think the first team today, I saw Jacoby Covington was involved. With Elijah Jackson. With Elijah Jackson. But so, like I said, they're starting to rotate some things. I think they're trying to get some more combos down on film. So I think they're trying to see what what combinations work best for them and and how – how much of an advantage are these guys taking their opportunities when they come? Running backs uh, had a chance to talk to Aaron Dumas post practice. Uh, there's still a shortage out there, and mm-hmm. you know he says, "Yeah, he goes. He's getting a lot of reps because it just seems like he's done with one drill, and boy, he got to turn around. and He's ready to do it again." But I think one of the things that jumped out at me about the running back room today was all the guys that were injured were out there today. We haven't seen mm-hmm. that a lot in the past, but uh, I didn't see Caleb Berry, but I saw the others. Oh yeah, I, Caleb Berry did come out later. He wasn't okay. there at the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah, Cam Davis was there. He was there. out there at the end. I'm yeah. pretty sure I saw... Um, uh, Richard oh. Newton was there. Yeah, yeah. Newton was there. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw uh, Adams. He okay. was wearing he was wearing yellow. I didn't and, see Megua. That's the one guy did, I haven't and, seen at all. We haven't seen Megua, yeah. And, I, and again, that goes back to DeBoer saying, based on the information that they were getting from the trainers and doctors at the beginning, you know, he may be out for spring, and then as it turns out, he was. So don't expect to see him at all. So... Um, Lee Marks, we find he was the last assistant coach we hadn't talked to. Yeah, and so you, you and I got a few minutes with him, and then I stuck around after you went and talked to an, some, another player, I think, involved. Right. So um, I. Uh, so you heard the comp, the the comps, mm-hmm. the, the pro comps that he was talking. Yeah, about. that like Jonathan Taylor, and uh, well, the, he didn't mention Derrick Henry, but that's because that guy's well, a freak of nature. That guy's like six four, two fifty or something. So the first guy that he mentioned in terms of being an all, because yeah. basically. When I asked what kind of player he's looking for, a running back, he, he basically said, you need the Swiss Army knife. You need the guy that can do everything. He and needs to run. That? But that's the thing. The guy that he mentioned, old Who would school, you think? On the current roster? No, no, no. no. In the a pro, pro comp. Yeah, and this guy NFL, is like old Hall school. Of, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame running back. Walter Payton. No. <coughs> no. Marshall Falk. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and a more current guy that he compared it to was... Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, and that's kind of what he's looking for. And the thing is, um, so I talked to um, I talked to Marks after you took off. I, I I talked to Marks a little bit longer, and I asked him, you know, about why they brought Dumas in. He why they brought Dumas in, and um, he said he said I recruited him out of high school, and the only reason he didn't get the opportunity to play for us was because we got some other commitments before he was ready to commit. And so that's why um, when he came on on the thing and they looked at the room and they, they knew they wanted at least one more guy, 
Um, he that's why he brought him in, okay. and and then he said the big thing for him with these injured guys. We've mentioned all the injured guys: Camden Sermon's injured, injured, and then Megwa, Barry Davis, Newton. I mean, that's five guys that are out uh, with injuries that would normally be run, running through running back drills right now. And he said, he said that um, he said those guys are all getting mental reps. He said he recruited Richard Newton and Cam Davis out of high school. And never got the opportunity to recruit them really that much because they were they had their eyes set more on some power five schools rather than an, a group of five schools. So he said, I already knew a lot about those guys. They're getting a lot of mental reps. It's easy to teach this offense to these guys, but they have to get out there and get reps. And he said, so they're getting the mental reps, but right now we're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to do anything. So they're just going to have to keep getting those mental reps and put it into practice later on. Anything post-practice from the interviews that either one of you guys did that really jumped out? I only talked to Coach Marks, so he was yeah. I, I talked a little bit, so talked a little bit to JV on Sunday, and he's you know really excited about getting the opportunity because he's getting a lot more reps, you know, as, as far as the scholarship guys, because it's basically just him and Aaron Dumas right now. So that was fun. Talked a little, little bit about his his uh, child, which you know obviously he's one of the few players on the teams that has as a kid. And so he was beaming she's at that. She's got to be almost two now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, yeah, she's. I think she was born right like after, right he, got after he got here. Yeah. Talked a little bit about the setback. His freshman year had the surgery to clean things up and getting going, but he he is really bought in all on Washington in terms of his future mm-hmm. and in terms of if he does everything right here, he knows he can get to the league, and that that's that's a huge motivation for him. So I talked to him a little bit. And then, um, obviously, I think the conversation that, that, that you had, Kim, with Roma Dunzi was really good, talking about the limbo of staying or going, the conversations he had with his guys like Jalen Millen, Jalen Polk, those guys, but also the conversation he had with Kalen DeBoer ended up being just as important to him as the one that he ended up having with Jamarcus Shepard in terms of staying and just the excitement with the offense. thought that was really interesting. So we got... I think we definitely got some good stuff today. Some yeah. really good stuff. I mentioned this, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, when we had the COVID games, I, you know, with Romo Dunsey out there throwing the ball, and I'm going, whoa. I mean, the kid can really throw the ball. So uh, Rome admits that he's the best quarterback in the wide receiver room. So we That's got, a really tough admission, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jalen Jalen McMillan says Jalen is, but, uh, you know, also just the way that these uh, wide receivers talk about Coach Shepard. It's always interesting when you ask about Coach Shepard because they just light up. So, yeah. I mean, he's you know he's Coach Shepard's. You see him on the practice field. He's the same guy, and you know in the dining room. So it was interesting that uh, talked to um, uh, Junior Alexander uh, briefly and asked him, you know, what do you want to be called? And he said, you know, call me Jr. or Junior, and that's fine. He had a real interesting story about Sam Heward uh, being a freshman at Kennedy. So make sure and uh, tune in for that. And uh, who else did I talk to? Oh. Uh, um, Aaron Dumas talked to him, a real bright, articulate kid, and he kind of shared that uh, you know uh, by the time he you know, we talked, Scott talked about that. Yeah, yeah, like Scott said, you know they ran out of scholarship offers, but he was he was glad to glad to come up here, and it was kind of a no brainer. Um, he said he was a smaller back, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, you may be small in height, but mm-hmm. I mean his lower body is put together, and he kind of chuckled yeah. at that a little bit, but uh, you know it's just. You know, it's just one of the things. We've been doing this a long time, Chris, and this is a, this is a good group of kids. Did so. anyone did anyone ask about a comp for him? Does anybody he looks to? No, I didn't. I didn't ask. I yeah. didn't hear it. Okay. So. Uh, um, 
Well, recruits are we're going to get into, but we, we do need to mention that Carson Bruner was on the sidelines today. Yeah. Um, and and Sermon. Uh, he, he didn't look, I mean, they weren't they weren't in casts, they weren't in anything like that. I I don't know how serious stuff like that is. Maybe they just got dinged in practice. Camden Sermon on the sidelines. Yeah. 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 Still, still a bit of a flashback for me to last year watching... Um, Fatui to Atelier with mm-hmm. the with the scooter, scooter, kind of like the Zion had to use the mm-hmm. scooter last year. So I have no idea if it's a similar injury or something, but it, at least it's it's we know it's well, on, leg, foot, ankle, something like on that. On Twitter, he says minor minor setback. So well, it's always a minor yeah. setback for the major. And Eddie comeback. was out there too. Eddie Ulafosio. Yep. Yeah, with <laughs> um, uh, with Bruner out, Cam Bright stepped in. Yep, stepped in. Um, you know. He, he's uh, he's just a he's long, he's longer than some of these guys. Yeah, hopefully now that we've talked to Aaron Dumas, for instance, I don't, and I don't remember if it's because Aaron Dumas was here like in January, mm-hmm. but because Bright got here right basically right before camp yeah. started, that's the reason why we haven't been able to talk to him. Hoping maybe that yeah. opens up next week. So well, the thing is, so because uh, Junior and uh, Dumas both got here uh, in January, right. Um, who's the one? So Demario King is one we haven't talked to yet, but he's right. a new guy. Right. His he was more of a recruit though, rather than a transfer. Yeah, it's the same thing. Even though Brailsford got here fairly early, yeah, they won't let us talk to him. Guarantee you, we no, won't talk to him. We're not going to be talking. Well, I mean, there's really no reason to talk to him. Well, right, because but, but it's because he's a freshman. Yeah, it's not not because freshman. of anything else. And Demario King te- typically. Technically, is only a sophomore, and he came in as a JUCO guy. So I think they might hold off on letting us talk to him, but we've got to talk to Perryman. Perryman didn't show up, I don't think, until the same time Bright didn't. Yeah, I don't remember. So um, that's – oh, no, he was here for the off-season workouts. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, Bright may not be available. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, Yeah, and when we talk about the linebackers, you know, so many people, you know, old-school people think that, you know, you have – you know, inside linebackers, outside linebackers, and you got three on the field at a time. They don't. They don't. Washington only has two linebackers on the Usually, field. Usually, yeah, and they're only running like two. Yeah, so. I mean, they're just running two. And linebackers so it was Tupatala and, yeah. and Bright. Today. But the, the nice thing about it, though, is that because they are wanting to try to find a bigger body, um, whether it's a Dominique Campton or a Cam Pepikalanen or down the road like a Tristan Dunn, it will feel like they have another linebackers type body. In there, close to the box or on the line of scrimmage, when they're playing the husky, playing the husky yeah. back. So, yes, they only have two technically two uh, linebackers in there, but they don't have a middle line. Your quote middle linebacker like the old days well, used to. They do, they do, but he's more versatile. Yeah, he's not a just a between the tackles. Yeah, guy. He's, they, yeah. They, they, those guys nowadays have to go sideline to sideline. That's yeah. just a requisite. And they have to both of them have to do the mic and the will. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Uh, recruits at practice today, Scott. So the three that we were able to make out were Josiah Wagner, the cornerback from he's twenty twenty three guy from uh, Spanaway Lake. Jacob Lane, which is a defensive end guy, doesn't have an offer from UW yet that I'm aware of, but um, he is from Emerald Ridge. 
and he's gotten a lot of comparisons to Joe Tryon. 6'5", 240 pounds, really can run. I mean, he, the camp that you and I both went to, the um, national preps camp up in uh, Everett, the Everett area, Tulela, um, he looked really good there. And then uh, the, the big name that was here, though, I mean, Josiah Wagner's a big name, but he's an in-state guy. Yep. A big name from out of state that we could tell was uh, Jaden Moore. He's a defensive end out of the Bay Area, North, North, Northern California at least, like, and uh, um, plays for a smaller school but had like 18 sacks last season. Just a really, really good player. I saw him down at the U of A camp. He told me he was coming up this month, so that it made sense. But he looks completely different the way he was wearing his hair because he had it all pulled back okay. before. And so I took a second, and our intern, Jack, who it's hard to call him an intern anymore. <laughs> but but he, Fifth-year intern. Yeah, fifth-year intern. But he, he said, do you think that's this guy? And he shows me, and I go, that is him. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, they. I mean, those were kind of the guys that are that are – that are on that were on campus that were, were really worth paying attention to. There was there was a number of other kids. Yeah, there. East Side Catholic had a number of kids. Is that who it was? Yeah. East Side Catholic. Dom, Dom. Dom Dasty was here. Yeah. So um, that was probably the big, tall guy, uh, blonde-haired dude. He, I think that was uh, either Jacob Hoffman or I don't know. I don't know his first name, but it's Hoffman. He's a tight end prospect. And then there's the running back, um, Henley. I, I don't know if he was yeah. here or not. Yeah, I don't. So. Yeah, but uh, Dom Dosti, of course, is the yeah. head coach at, uh, at mm-hmm. uh, Eastside Catholic. But mm-hmm. uh, Dom's actually slimmed down. Yeah, he has. He's he's lost some weight. He used to be a big old Those, those Dom Dasty greg Lewis comparisons are going to continue to... Because <laughs> I remember back in the day when we were doing the Holiday Bowl, uh, I think it was the, J- the Jake Locker Holiday Bowl, and uh, Greg Lewis was doing a radio uh, hit with us on KJR. And one of the fans came up to him and asked him if he was Dom Dasty. Mm-hmm. I think Greg might be bigger. I'm gonna get killed for that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Dom is slimmed down. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right now, they're in the same. And this is a credit to Greg too, because they're they're both they're both bigger guys. But they, I think, a lot of fans would get them confused because um, don't really have a lot of hair anymore. Look, you know, they 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 have that same size, same build. Um, I'm so, staying. I'm staying out of this. I'm telling you what, Dom Dosti was a beast before he got injured. Absolutely, he was a beast. Yeah, you know, for so sure. Injuries took their and it's and it's great for Dom because he's been at Eastside now for a few years now, so he's he's starting to build a, a nice a nice little legacy there, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Anything else uh, cover? Take us home, Chris. No, just like I said, I thought we had some really good interviews today. It was really good to talk to Lee Marks and get a, a great sense because I think one of the things that Washington fans have kind of been wondering about and we've certainly been wondering about is the transition in that running back room to the kind of body type that they're looking for. We got a pretty pretty easy answer, pretty straightforward answer in terms of we're trying to find the guys who can do everything. And um, So I don't necessarily think that precludes any of the bigger backs that they have here. They just have to show that they're as versatile as they need them to be. Well, these backs are catching a lot of balls out of the backfield, and Cam Davis was that guy. You know. Well, I watched a lot of that today because I knew that we were going to be talking to offensive players and coaches today. And to be honest with you, I think the Washington fans are going to be really excited about how they're using the tight ends. I think the tight ends are kind of the lost guys in this group because of the, not only the attrition and guys like Kate Otten going pro and losing Mark Redman and, and things like that, but just the, you know, the uncertainty because Fresno State didn't necessarily use a use lot of tight ends, end, yeah. but when they do use them, I think they use them in some highly creative ways, and I think it's going to be interesting. 
to see you know how a Devin Cope can thrive in this particular offense or Jack Westover. In addition to where they're working out, couldn't be any further away from where we're at. They're all usually the opposite end. Yeah, the they're they're in the corner. That's yeah. where they're getting most of their work. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts, Scott Eckley? Uh, you know, just we're in the middle of that where it's just kind of the it's kind of like uh, Kim used to refer to it as a Groundhog Day, where you just kind of see the same drills a lot. I did kind of like uh, one of the they were doing punt protection, and they were saying, "All right, here's your here's the guy." They were kind of pointing out, "This is the guy that you need to block." And then, but you only do it to a count of like three or whatever it is, and then you got to get in this lane and stay in this lane and don't get blocked out of it. So it was kind of interesting to watch how they were working on the transition. And then um, at the beginning of practice, when uh, they were just kind of warming up and everything, they had uh, Jalen McMillan and one of the walk-on wide receivers were catching punts from the punters, and uh, Coach Brown was working with the the returners. And he would have them sit as they're catching the ball. Okay. Because now they hadn't been holding before. They had been so holding tennis balls. I'm assuming that means balls. they're falling backwards. They're, they're kind of, well, they're going just straight down right. and, and doing it. But I, I have to believe, and I, and I made a comment on this in the, in the story, the practice story that I posted, that I said, I can't really tell you why he's having them do that other than they're doing something relatively unnatural and still having to, Catch the ball, keep and, and keep focused on that. So I've got to believe it's it's that 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 is why they're doing that. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll point out real quick, Kim, before we wrap this up. There's another drill that I really enjoyed watching, and I'll I, I think this probably is a drill. I'm sure I saw Jimmy Lake run when he was the DBs coach at some point, but it was with the receivers and the DBs, and it was basically like a one-on-one style drill, but without throwing the ball, and it really looked like. Juice Brown and Jamarcus Shepard were trying to get their guys to get to a spot on the field, and it was all about getting that inside shoulder and leverage, or trying to, or if you were the defensive defensive back, trying to get them out of that lane and get them out of that area. Um, and so they had to do it, and they had to do it with physicality, but without you know literally shoving them or doing mm-hmm. something that would obviously promote a flag. And so I thought that was a really interesting drill because it looked. It looked like they were trying to do them as much in straight lines as possible, but there was also times where they were asked to maybe run a little curl or run something that was a little mm-hmm. different, and sometimes they were going long. Um, so based on whatever the whatever the receiver was trying to do, it was up to the DB to like basically reroute them, shut them down, do whatever they could without getting overtly physical. And I thought that was a really interesting drill to watch because it's basically everything that the battle – it, it encapsulates between receivers and DBs, but without the ball. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was fun to watch because it basically really, again, it's a focus drill. It's all about technique, and it's all about getting to that spot. Last time we did the podcast post-practice, you know, we touched bases on basketball, and then that afternoon Noah Williams went ahead and committed to uh, University of Washington. And um, this has been in the works for quite some time. It was pretty obvious that, you know. Did we make it obvious enough for people? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, 
Noel's kind of in uh, the doghouse with the Washington State's coaching staff, and that had a big impact on his season. I, you know, it wasn't any secret that he wasn't going to return to Washington State, and I, I think you know a lot of people in his camp and family and people who know him knew that was going to happen. And you know, uh, Washington coach has just been waiting for him to enter the portal, and the minute he did, trust me, they were all over him and made him an extremely high priority. Um, uh, I know that they liked his size. I know they, they liked his length. I know that they uh, thought that, you know, you take a look at what Deshaun Davis did at the top of the zone last year, and they think he can even be better. He's got uh, he's got a nasty streak to him. He does have, I mean, to find basketball players with that nasty streak that can play defense, lock guys down, um, you know, I know that they're hoping that some of that will rub off on some of the new guys coming in as well as the rest of the team. Um, they want to be bigger, stronger next year. They want to be a tougher team, and, you know, Hopkins is always talked about that. I know a lot of people talking about him not being a shooter. They want him to be a point guard. Now, if you can find a point guard that can shoot the ball and all of that kind of stuff, he's going to be in the NBA before you know it. He's not going to be in the transfer portal, but I think that, you know, with the off year that Noah had last year and then uh, coming into this team, he's going to be hungrier than ever. So, had a chance to talk to him and, uh, you know, uh, it didn't make it in the article, but I talked about him. He was a good football player at O'Day. You know, asking about how that rubbed off onto, you know, playing basketball he said he did. So uh, I liked. Uh, I, I think it's a huge get for Washington, uh, being that they still need to get two more bigs. Um, Fardaz, Amac, the transfer from Utah Valley State, for, uh, of course, is going to be the number one priority. But um, he's still going through the process of getting feedback from the NFL draft. But they're not going to let up. NBA draft. Excuse me, NBA draft. They're not going to let up on him at all. And uh, I know that they're uh, after Frank Kepnang as. Uh, as well, the center who's in the transfer portal from Oregon, who's just a big, big, big dude. Uh, you know, I think one thing that you haven't stated was that he's after them too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I think the the long or the short of all this mm-hmm. is that now that Noah Williams is in, I think there's a lot of Washington fans that are like, okay, who's the next in the boat? It's going to happen. It's going to this now that that's been settled and they're looking at the bigs. It feels like the particular bigs that they're in on, whether it's Amac or Cottrell or Kepnang, it sounds like those guys might take a little while. Yeah, it sounds like that. I think, you know... Um, now, these obviously, these things can change on a dime so quickly, yeah. as, as, as they always do in recruiting. I mean, this is, even though it's the, the portal, this is still recruiting at its bare bones. It's funny, because people want to know what's going on, but as we talk, something can change out there, and then people want to go, well, you said this... Things can change on a dime yeah. when it comes into recruiting. People have no idea how hard it is to predict this. Stuff. Yeah. You know, guys that aren't interested in the NIL can all of a sudden be interested in NIL. Guys that are interested in NIL could be disinterested in NIL. Mm-hmm. Things can change so fast and so rapidly in recruiting. So what's true is we're doing this could change by the time we're done, and I walk through heckheads. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, based on who they talk to on that particular day, their whole recruitment can change, their priorities can mm-hmm. change. Um, a new offer can change everything. Um, you know, it just depends. So what? So I mean, there is a situation, and God, I hope this doesn't happen to anybody. But where a kid comes in and says, "Hey, I'm making a basketball decision, not a money decision," and then all of a sudden their mom gets diagnosed with leukemia or something. You know, I yeah. hope that doesn't happen to anybody because that happened to me right about that age. Right. But if it happens now, they are thinking about. NIL well, a little bit more than they ever Well, would. then they could stop and think that I want to be close to my family as yeah, well. Yeah, so. exactly. There's so, so many, many things, things that play into all this. It's just so, I mean, doing what I do with NIL now got so much harder. 
because it's just it's so hard to know what a what a team is going to prioritize and and put, send out to a kid. Yeah. Well, it's made things incredibly hard on on our end on that on that stroke, but on the other end, it's made things incredibly easy if you know the kid and the family situation pretty well. The the, the ability to predict these things mm-hmm. in some ways has become a lot easier. Because if if what Brandon Huffman says is accurate, and I don't have any reason to believe it isn't, that NIL is still the pri- is going to be the primary driver for these recruits moving forward, we can talk about it. Doesn't really matter if it's football or basketball. Um, that if that's going to be the primary driver, then we can talk about it based on their situation, their family situation, their home life, the kind of advice they might be getting. Who are who are the the, the people around them and their entourage? What are they thinking? What kind of advice are they giving? There's there's obviously a lot of factors that go into play there, but I don't think it necessarily is that difficult to figure it out right off the bat how important NIL is going to play in a kid's recruitment. But the one thing that you just talked about, Scott, if there are circumstances, if there are life events, those things can change everything that goes on in a kid's mind literally on a dime. Yeah. We will be back again on Friday. We get Coach DeBoer on Friday, I believe. Yep. You know, so uh, stay Big tuned. scrimmage. Yeah, big scrimmage. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, well there's, a, there's a scrimmage on Friday, yeah. then there's a scrimmage the following Saturday, yeah. and then spring game. Yeah. So we should hopefully be talking to Kalen DeBoer on Friday after they've scrimmaged. Yeah. Yeah, Which we won't get to see. We won't get to see. <laughs> yeah, all right. For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.